Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. And I'm so excited for our guest today because this is not something that we normally take time to really talk about. In fact, she is probably one of the first people that reached out. And not only did she reach out with an awesome just resume and background, she sent me her brand new book. And it is something that it has taught me so much over the years of how to give back and how to get involved in the community. And it's all about, if you want to, it's really important to get involved in your community. And so our guest today is going to show us how and really talk about the importance. And so Chris, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you, Angela. I'm really happy to be here. I'm super excited. Before we dive in and get into the goods and talk about your book, I would love for you to share with our audience, because I was reading up on you last night and I'm like, this is awesome, but I still would love to know more. And then obviously people watching or listening, tell them your journey. How did you get involved and what really drove you to write your book? Yes. So, you know, from an early age, I don't really know why, but I was very interested in really helping other people and what was going on around the world. And I ended up um, taking a job out of college. I moved from Indiana University, where I was in, at school, to San Francisco and took a job um, uh, with an organization, a nonprofit organization that was trying to support human rights in El Salvador. And this was in the middle of El Salvador's civil war. So it was a very dangerous time there. You know, 75,000 people had been killed and thousands and thousands more had disappeared or had been tortured. I mean, it was horrible. And so we were trying to raise money and support these organiz organizations there. And, um, and this was back in the day when the big technology of the day was the fax machine. And-, <laughs> and Oh my God. <laughs> I know, way back in the day, right? And, uh, and so we used faxes the way we people use social media today, which is to get the word out quickly about whatever you're working on. So we would send these fax alerts to folks to, to call their congressperson or to show up for a demonstration or whatever it might be. And, uh, but as an organization, we didn't feel like we could afford to buy our own fax machine because we were trying to raise all the money we could and send it to El Salvador, right? So instead we borrowed somebody else's fax machine from another organization 10 blocks away. So every day, one of us would walk 10 blocks, send our faxes and walk back, which is a, about a mile round trip, right? About an hour. Wow. <laughs> right. The, and, and, right. So then fast forward and a couple of years later, I went to El Salvador on a delegation. A bunch of us were bringing aid and supplies and support. And it was my first time there. 
and I didn't quite know what to expect. We walked into the first nonprofit that we were supporting there and I opened the door and what do you think I saw? A ginormous fax machine. <laughs> this fax machine was like the biggest fax machine I'd ever seen. It like stood on the ground. It like not only faxed, but it copied, collated, stapled, you know. That's it awesome. Did it all. And I was stunned because, you know, here we were coming from the US bringing aid to support this organization that was relying upon international donations, right? And they could afford a fax machine and apparently we couldn't. So I asked the director, I said, how does this happen? And he looked at me like I had six heads and he said, well, we rely on faxes. We need to send them every day. Of course we have a fax machine. Wow. And it was my first understanding of what I now call delusional altruism. Which really means um, you genuinely want to make a difference, you care and you want to help others, but you're delusional in, in how you get, are getting in your own way and actually preventing yourself from making the difference that you want. And one of those um, ways that happens is a, what I call a scarcity mindset. And so really, if you think, look at that example, you know, think of how much time we were wasting, like, a, let's just say an hour a day, you know, all year long sending faxes. What if we had spent the probably $900 a fax machine would have cost back then since it was new. Um, and I don't know, fundraised, you know, like called donors during that hour, like think of how much more money we could have made to send to El Salvador, which is our goal. But we had the scarcity mindset, we didn't believe we could have we deserved to invest that money in ourselves. And so really that was eye-opening for me. From that job, I ended up um, getting a master's in social work. I worked at Stanford University evaluating youth and gang violence prevention programs. That was funded by a single foundation. So that got me intrigued about the role of philanthropy in all of this, um, because if you have not just a lot of money, but you're really smart in how you think about, you know, investing in those resources, you can create a lot of positive change. So then I went to work for the David and Lucille Packard Foundation, which is the family foundation of Dave Packard of HP mm -hmm. and was one of the largest in the country at the time. And so that really kind of put me on my journey in philanthropy. I began doing some consulting on the side. And from there, you know, was consulting for Charles Schwab's Family Foundation and many others. And now it's been over 20 years that I've been advising and consulting in philanthropy. That's it's it's amazing. And that, that's such a good story. It just it reminds me of just how, you know, as business owners, we talk about but like let's work smarter, not harder. And thinking, I'm thinking in my head, like five hours a week times 52 weeks is how many hours worth someone's precious time. And nowadays I still think people would be fine with it. Cause you know, everybody has a Fitbit and they're like, Oh, I'll just get my steps in. And, you know, they'd probably be fine with it, but it's like, is that really the best use of time mm -hmm. where you can like make an impact to make mm -hmm. a difference? Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I've learned so much just in the past few years about really understanding how just a small thing that either it's your time you're giving or it's money. Cause there's a lot of different ways you can give. It doesn't always have to be monetary, but that is one way that you can make such a difference. And so did something happen or trigger you to say, I have to write this book 
to like really make people aware of their delusional? Was there a certain thing or you were just like, you know what? I've been doing this for two decades. I need to write a book. Like what was the, that driving passion? Because it's a big project to sit and like write a book. It's a big project. So how, and, and a lot of our, um, our listeners and our, and our viewers, we're all about productivity. So I'd love to know what was that driving force and how did you actually sit down and like accomplish it? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's three things that converge to help me want to write the book. And the first was just 20 years of experience advising funders, philanthropists, And by that, I mean, you know, ultra high net worth donors, leaders of foundations, you know, family foundations, community foundations, uh, corporate giving programs. And after 20 years, you know, just seeing them make some of the same mistakes over and over again. And so um, that was part of it. Uh, Another part of it really was um, being in part of a, a community of consultants. So, you know, I really believe in part from my experience with the facts story in investing in my own professional development and my own growth and coaching and mentoring. And so I'm part of a consultant community um, through a consultant, his name is Alan Weiss. And um, he, he has written, gosh, I don't know, over 60 books, six zero books. And a lot of the consultants that are involved in working with him exactly have written a lot of books. And so I began to talking to other consultants, not in my field, but other fields about why they wrote a book and how they wrote a book and how it wasn't like as hard as you think it is and the resources they used. And so that became very helpful. I got practical advice in, in learning from them. And, um, and then the third thing was, you know, one of the questions I ask all my clients is um, if you could only accomplish one thing this year but it was going to be your legacy at your organization, what would it be? And it's a great question because it really drives home. We all have lots of priorities, but what is that one, you know, that real deep, important one? And I asked myself that question and write the book was like immediately popped into my head within, you know, nanoseconds. And so I just realized to me, you know, if I did nothing else, I can at least share this knowledge and help funders, as well as, you know, nonprofits. And quite frankly, it's a practical book for business leaders as well uh, to help them, you know, create the impact that they want to have by getting out of their own way. That's, it's so awesome. So one really, really important thing that I heard out of that was that you surrounded yourself with the right people. You knew that they had done something that you had in your head that you wanted to do. And so surrounding yourself with the right people and submerging yourself around people that already did something that you want to do is so key to like hitting the goal and and meeting the goal. And then the other thing I was listening to a podcast the other day, and someone was saying that they recently went through a workshop and they wrote I guess like their eulogy is, is what would people stand up and say at their funeral? And he was like, I don't want people to stand up and say, oh my gosh, he worked 180 hours a week. Like there's not even that many hours in the week. And like, he just worked, 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 worked. Like, that's not what you want people to stand up and say about you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so he was like, what you just said, like the one thing that repetitively people would stand up and say, how did you make a difference? How did you make an impact in people's lives Mm -hmm. and start working towards that 
what do you want your kids to think about you? If, if you, if something were to happen to you when they were young, like how would you want your kids to remember? Did you show up? You know, obviously he's a dad. So he's like, did you show up as a dad? And it just gets you to think differently. And I'm glad we live in more of a transparent world these days, because these are conversations that when I was younger and we just didn't have these conversations. And so before we started recording, you told me something really um, neat that you, your book launched a week after lockdown. Yes. And however, you re- your mindset is just amazing. You said, you know, I've been over on over 40 podcasts. It really, it, it just couldn't do a book tour. So we're going to do a virtual tour. And you said, you've probably been able to meet more people and reach more people than you would have if you were traveling around doing a book tour. And so just the impact, it's like, there's a reason for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't always know what it is, but I just think mm-hmm. it's incredible how you pivoted. And so, but I would love for you to start off and share, cause you mentioned something mistakes that, that people are making a lot of mistakes when they're, they, they want to give and they want to give back. So what are some things you guys, you're going to have to read the book. We'll put the, the link in the show notes, but a few like little teasers. What are some, some big mistakes that you see people? Cause clearly you got frustrated and you're like, people need to know, we don't know what we don't know. So yeah. if you'll share. Yes, absolutely. So again, the book is delusional dollars to, to give. And, you know, I think anyone who um, gives of themselves, their resources, their uh, time, you know, time, treasure, talent, ties, which includes like the connections you have and the ways you can help people by opening doors for them is all really valuable. So a couple of mistakes. One is I referenced a little bit earlier is the scarcity mindset. And so, you know, part, and I think all of us that can experience this as business owners, as funders, as nonprofit leaders, um, not investing in ourselves and our own development. And as a funder, it's really important to invest in yourself. That could be investing in your learning, your understanding of the community, of the needs and whatever issue you care about. It could also be investing time and taking the time to build a trusting relationship with a nonprofit that you're supporting and really understanding what's going on for them and showing up for them. It could also be just, you know, investing in technology, investing in getting a coach or an advisor or someone to guide you and help you on this philanthropic journey. Um, but also, I think one of the ways this shows up in supporting nonprofits is funders and donors often don't invest enough in the nonprofit they're trying to support. Um, meaning there's all there's kind of this myth that a nonprofit is effective if 99 cents of every dollar given goes to you know help the people they serve and only one cent on the dollar is for quote unquote overhead or administration which is somehow bad, right? But it really makes no sense because if there's a nonprofit that you believe in and they're doing great work, you know, if it's on trying to end human trafficking or if it's supporting mental health services, whatever the issue is, if they're doing a great job, well, don't you want them to have top talent? Don't you want them to have great financial management practices, a good ability to raise funds, a way to communicate effectively, a good website, a great board of directors, the ability to evaluate themselves and make improvements. Well, of course you do, right? 
but that costs money. You know, those things, you know, they don't just happen. And too often, I think we expect nonprofits to get by on a shoestring and we, and then we, we force that upon them because we only give them little bits of money. You know, it's never enough. And there's, there's sort of forced to like cobble together bits of money from different sources to actually fund their work. It doesn't allow the executive director enough time to build relationships, to network, to fundraise, to like to think or plan, God forbid, you know, plan. Um, and so it, we really, so again, it's delusional. You know, you think you're being, I don't know, like a good steward or you're being really efficient with your money, but really you're just holding the nonprofit back and preventing them from doing the good work that they could be doing if they had the sufficient resources they need. So that's one example, that scarcity mindset. Another is feeling fearful. And I think fear really holds back even the wealthiest of donors. Um, and it holds all of us back really. Um, but I, it happens in a few different ways. I think there's a lot of fear of failure in philanthropy. There's some good alliteration there. Fear of failure in philanthropy. Um, so that happens when you, know, you, you, you wanna make a difference and kind of create change, but you're worried that the nonprofit you're gonna invest in isn't gonna be successful. So you kind of hold back or you worry that um, you are gonna be kind of exposed as a, as a donor, right? As a wealthy individual. There's a lot of fear that the wealthiest have around others knowing their wealth. That seems odd, but because it can change, their, it can change relationships, it can change family dynamics, and suddenly they're looked at differently, uh, or people have expectations on them that they didn't previously have. There's fear of coming out in support of a particular cause or issue, right? Because there could be so much backlash. You know, even um, if you recall a few years ago, there were the fires in Paris and the Notre Dame Cathedral, um, yeah. where the cathedral caught on fire, right? Which was a huge, you know, devastating. And yeah. many ultra wealthy families came out and really philanthropically almost for the first time to contribute to re the rebuilding of the cathedral, which was great. And a lot of people criticized them. The criticism came in the form of, well, why do you care about cathedrals and not synagogues and mosques? Why are you supporting the cathedral and not like migrants, you know, drowning in oceans, trying to get to safety? Why are you supporting the cathedral and not people that are starving around the world, right? So, and all that really does is scare the donor into like back into hiding. You know, it kind of prevents them from, uh, from being philanthropic. So there's a lot of fear, fear of losing control. I think part of that issue around um, not giving nonprofits the resources they need and not offering them general operating support, putting a lot of restrictions on their funding is, Kind of fear of losing control. Well, it's my money, and I'm going to tell you, nonprofit, exactly how you should do your work. When really it's the nonprofit that knows the issue, knows the community, and knows what needs to get done. Uh, and the third is not having a strategy. I mean, the third mistake that uh, comes out a lot is just lack of a strategy. And, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you're not likely going to get there, right? Or you're not right. even going to know if you got there. <laughs> And this is true again for business, it's true for nonprofits, and it's very true for philanthropy. 
And too often funders don't have, either don't have clarity of their strategy or they spend an enormous amount of time developing their strategic plan, meaning like a year and a half to kind of create the, strate the beautifully designed strategic plan document to go on the website. And then by the time you've created their strategy, like the world has changed at least once, yep. right? It's outdated. And then they're delayed in implementing it. So either they don't have one. I mean, typically either they don't have one or they've exhausted themselves, spending a lot of money, a lot of time creating the strategic plan that never really gets off the ground. And by the way, it's actually out of date. And so I really advise my clients to rapidly create your strategy. It's really just thinking about what do we want to accomplish a year from now? What kind of philanthropists do we want to be in a year? And where are we today? And what are the three things, the three most important things that are going to help us get from where we are today to where we want to be? And who's accountable for each of those? And let's get moving. It really is that simple. Well, and my thing is like, you exactly the third thing that you said, I even see it so much in businesses, like going in and saying, absolutely. What's okay. Like you have a book launch and, or you have a podcast launch or you have something to launch. And I'm like, what's, what's, what's your straight, your strategy, like your 90 day plan to roll it out through social media or what's your budget to run ads so that you can actually reach more people. And exactly what you're saying about this People, I don't know who, where we, we, as human beings, we make shit up in our heads. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, well, we can't spend money on ads because exactly what you're saying. Well, we need to take this money because so-and-so donated this. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I mean, we can really reach the right people by being strategic. And if we spend a dollar and we make $5 or $2 or even 50 cents on the dollar, why would we not take some of that fund, you, the, mm -hmm. the money mm -hmm. and, and use it to reach people? And even right now we have a, we work with a few nonprofits and I'm involved at a different level just from some of it is personal experience you know, if you would have asked me five years ago, would you be involved in human trafficking or um, something about ALS? No, but my sister has ALS. My brother started something for human trafficking. He saw something. He's like, we're going to do something about it. And we're also going to partner with the other nonprofits that are trying to make a difference in middle Tennessee. So of course, whatever my brother and sister are doing, like I'm going to support that. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I really can bring to the table and being on the board is that you know, from a marketing perspective and an events perspective. And when they, oh my gosh, like they, they have to read your book, like all, the, all these people, because <laughs> they're like, well, we really shouldn't have a bar or valet because, you know, it's a nonprofit and we are on that shoestring budget. I'm like, but it's all about creating an experience. And if there's a tornado warning and there's really bad rain and there's no parking garages around where we chose to do it in downtown Nashville because the space was donated, you know, whatever. Um, like we, we still need to pro provide that experience. And so it, it's the mindset mm -hmm. that hasn't mm -hmm. been set um, mm -hmm. on, on the right path. And, yeah. and there's a major difference. And I see the major difference between 
if you own a business, like you kind of get it, like you need to, to, to invest the money to run the business portion. And if you're not running a nonprofit as a business, then the money usually isn't being used in a strategic way because you don't have a plan. And I always say, it's like getting on a flight and your pilot's blindfolded and you bought a ticket, but you don't know where you're going. (laughs) None of us would do that usually, but people do it with their business all the time. And then I see it even in nonprofits. It's not that people intentionally do it. They they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that, that this is awesome because it's really going to shift that mindset of you've got to show up with a plan. I mean, even the, the human trafficking, it, it's, um, you know, I work with a bunch of guys and they came from the drug task force and two of them that this has been their career. There's two gentlemen in the entire state of Tennessee that help fight human trafficking. It's not enough people. And so we recently went to a fundraiser and they were saying the funds are being allocated specifically to hire more people in the private investigation world to actually help catch these people. It's like a billion dollar industry. It's very sick. And so exactly what you're saying, again, it's like, what is my money going towards? And a lot of people, they do ask those questions, but let's just take a step back and think about the business portion. You know, it's, it's really important that you're providing a great experience for people and telling the stories and, and showing up to share the difference that, that things are making. But yeah, the business piece, I just, I don't understand, but now in like talking through it with you, I'm like, ah, I totally get it. They don't know what they don't know. Right. And then the other interesting point you have about fear. And I will even say that, um, I've experienced a little bit of this where on LinkedIn, someone reached out and I was, they, they heard a podcast and they heard me talking about something I was involved in in there, but I didn't tell the backstory. I'm like, Oh, the reason is because my, my sister has that. And so I've, I've really been thoughtful. And like, if I bring something up that people are going to come back and question and it's fine. Like asking questions is good, but they wanted me to come and donate and back their stuff. And basically I responded and I said, you know, we have a budget. We have a budget every year for how much time I'm going to spend from a marketing perspective, from a website perspective, from a support perspective, and then how we're going to give monetarily. And so they were trying to push me and say, why this come over to this. I think you would be great for this. And I'm like, we've already allocated all of our funds, you know, for that year. And so people see people giving, and then it's like opening the doors to all this stuff. And then they see, because we talk about as women making a profit mm-hmm. and, and building revenue and making sure you're profitable. And they think that, you know, some of us, we walk in ship money or something. And it's like, <laughs> no, it just because someone's running a six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 figure business doesn't mean that you have all this extra money just laying around and you should give it to charity. (laughs) Like there's a strategy behind that. Mm -hmm. So I, again, but I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. And then there's even where some of the singers and songwriters that we work with in Nashville, they don't want people to know they're completely anonymous. Mm -hmm. And of course their publicist from a PR perspective is like, Oh, this is a great, and it's like, I'm not doing it for PR. 
I, I, that's not why I'm doing this. Like I genuinely want to help. Like when the tornadoes came through Mm -hmm. and demolished, demolished East Nashville, Mm -hmm. there were some people that, that stepped up and, and really donated. Not that that was, you know, something that's a long-term nonprofit. We hope that never happens again, but just the way that people stand up, do it. And they don't want people to know to me. I mean, it's kind of sad that, that they're afraid, uh, but I never really thought of it that way again, until like you bring up great, great points. So if people want to give back and they want to get involved, there's probably some questions they should ask. Mm -hmm. If you can give us some tips on that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to, what I would start with the question, why think about like your purpose of giving, you know, why give, like, what are you trying to accomplish with giving? And it might be because you personally have been impacted by an issue or cause, or maybe a family member is involved, or you've just learned about something through, you know, watching the news or whatever's happening in your community, or, you know, some families, their why of why they give is they want to um, kind of build a culture of philanthropy across generations in their family. And that's part of their why. And so when you get clarity on your your why and your what, you know, what kind of impact do I want to have? What issues do I care about? What kind of philanthropic family or business do I want to become? Then the how becomes easier. So then you can figure out, you know, like one of my, a friend of mine uh, is in an ultra high net worth family. Their, uh, her father was the CEO of a company, I can't name it, but everyone would probably own the product. Um, and they're a very philanthropic family and their why was, you know, they really wanted to build a culture of giving um, in their philanthropy. And, um, uh, and so the, how they do that is every year as a family, they pick one issue and they learn about it together as a family. And then together they come up with, um, they come up with like, uh, you know, nonprofits that they wanna support. And they fund those organizations and kind of learn from those organizations. And then after three years, they move on to a different issue. And they're very clear with those nonprofits. This is not going to be a long-term you know, funding relationship. But that's how they do their giving because of why they give and what they want to accomplish. Um, whereas, you know, if um, you know, you're supporting uh, you know, your brother and human tra- his human trafficking organization you know, how you could support him might be in different kinds of ways. It could be financial, but it could also be donating your experience and your know-how as a business owner and in marketing and um, all the ways that you can support events and whatnot. So I think, you know, it's, it's getting that clarity first and, and, you know, taking the time and reflecting on your life experience and what issues are meaningful to you, but also, you know, not worrying about getting it right you know, not, not feeling obsessed about, gosh, what is more important, like mental health or substance abuse treatment? Well, you know, they're both important, like, you know, just yes. pick one or fund both, you know, and learn a lot and see where it goes. And if you choose that you learn something different or you want to support a different issue, like that's perfectly fine. In fact, I think, um, you know, the same is true for strategy development and creating a plan. It, it can feel very daunting these days to plan ahead, right? Because as we've learned, 
with COVID and everything, the world is changing and it will change yeah. on a dime, right? And it will continue to change. But the reality is the future is no more uncertain today than it was two years ago or last decade or last century. And so rather than having that feeling of the, the future is uncertain paralyze you, we need to change our mindset to let that free us and recognize that that's, that is normal actually. And um, you know, we don't have to plan for every contingency, but we still can, you know, kind of rapidly create a plan that we can count on with the confidence that we can pivot and change and adapt it along the way, because that really is how it always is, right? Like there is no new normal coming. No. Nope. Like, <laughs> anybody. <laughs> because Surprise. there never was a normal, right? Things have always been changing. And so we, we have to, I think, embrace those agility and pivoting muscles we've been developing uh, recently and continue to exercise them. And very practically, like, again, what are you trying to accomplish with your business, with your philanthropy? Where are you right now? What are the three things you should focus on? Like, get moving on those. And then build in time, like in the next year, every two months, once a quarter, once a, whatever makes sense, once a month, and check in. How are we doing on this plan? On this, Are we implementing our strategy? What's working well? What's not working well? What do we need to change? Has anything in the world changed recently that would cause us to adapt to what we're trying to do? If so, great, Like then change it. But keep going because that strategy is really your decision-making framework. It's really what's helping you figure out where you're headed and um, when shiny objects come at you, you can decide, you know, is that a shiny object I should ignore because it's not helping me achieve my goals? Or is it something new that I should take a look at that actually will help me because things have changed? And, and so I did want to share, um, I have a guide that I think would be a, of interest to your listeners that maps out eight steps to do this. Yes. That I want to share. And it's called Eight Things Every Philanthropist Can Do to Change the World even when the world keeps changing. And you can go to eightthings.org and it's a free download. And again, it's, it's written for funders and donors, but honestly, it's as applicable to a business owner as it is in a nonprofit as it is to a philanthropist. So again, eightthings.org and there's that free download. Thank you so much. And we will put that in the show notes as well. And I also know that top donors seek you out to, to help them and guide them and lead them. And so from a coaching and consulting perspective, if someone would like your help in, do you help people like from the ground up? Like, do you, if they want to start a nonprofit or are you like, they need to be in, in existence for five or 10 years. Like what are the pre-qualifications that if people need help or, or coaching or consulting, how could they work with you? Yeah, I help philanthropists and, and leaders of foundations and corporate giving programs really at any stage of their philanthropic journey. So I love helping when it's brand new, you know, sometimes it's a family coming into wealth or there's a sale of a business and they're deciding how to give uh, or they've been giving, but want to become more strategic and focused. Or I work with a lot of, you know, existing foundations and organizations that are trying to shift the way that they're working 
Um, and so I do a lot of strategy development and strategy implementation. And then I coach CEOs of foundations and corporate giving programs and high net worth donors, and also you know serve as a trusted advisor. That's awesome. So would they go to your website for that to reach yes. out to you? Yes. So my website awesome. is putnam-consulting.com and you can contact me there. And also if you go to eightthings.org to download that free guide, um, that's also part of my website. So you can find me there as well. And where can they get the book? <laughs> Ooh, well, of course it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but if you go to delusionalaltruism.com, that's the book website and all the links to purchase the book are right there. Awesome. And guys, if you're listening and you're multitasking, because I know a lot of you do, we will put all of this in the show notes. Chris, this was so awesome. If people want to reach out to you through social media, do you have like a favorite platform where they should connect with you? Yeah. LinkedIn is the main place where I am these days. And I'm there at Chris Putnam uh, is the best way to find me. Awesome. This was so insightful and so helpful and such a needed conversation that we just haven't had the opportunity to really talk about it. So thank you for reaching out to us and thank you for really helping set the stage for a mindset of how you can think differently and really help support a nonprofit and, and help them thrive. So this was amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And everyone that's listening and watching, be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Business Unveiled. Bye, y'all. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done, would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember, the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.